59% of managers who oversee one to two employees report having no training at all. We live in this world where we always say people are our most important asset or our most important resource, but half of the people that manage your most important resource have no idea what they're doing. Are you a business leader looking for strategies and tactics to help you navigate leadership and HR challenges as you scale? Each week on While We Were Working, we bring you our 35 plus years of experience doing exactly this for companies just like yours. For more game-changing HR and leadership insights and to connect with us, Check us out at whilewewereworking.com. Hey, what's going on? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of While We Were Working. As always, this is your weekly show to learn more about being a better leader, whether it's for a small business or your small team. As always, I'm joined by my awesome co-host and consulting practice manager here at Jumpstart, Summer Keytron, and this week we've got a great show for you today. We are going to unpack what it was like for me to go and speak at Harvard for the very first time, but first we're going to talk about the expanded rights of transgendered workers at your workplace and what you need to know. And I love something that Summer said about this topic before we jump right in. Uh, as we were preparing to record today, she said, you know, this is something that the ADA has said, the government is saying, you need to pay attention to this. So I want you to put your hat on. This is something we should be paying attention to. And we need to lean in, learn more, ask really good questions, be great support and be great for everyone who works at our workplace. So Summer, go ahead and set up this this topic, where the article come from, and uh, lead us into the segment that we like to call While We Were Working. Sure thing. So for those of you that haven't followed our show before, the While We Were Working segment is where we pick an article or something in the news that we think is important for you to know more about. We'll have a little bit of a discussion about it, and we understand you might have missed it because you were so busy working. And today's article uh, was published on August 18th in Bloomberg Law, and it's titled Transgender Workers' Rights Expanded by Gender Dysphoria Ruling. And as Joey mentioned a little bit earlier, we recognize that this may not be a topic that everybody is comfortable talking about. And we just thought it was really important, though, that because the U.S. Court of Appeals of the Fourth Circuit sided with uh, Kesha Williams, who was a former inmate in her ADA lawsuit against a Virginia sheriff, that since there are now these ADA requirements, that if you're a business, you need to know what's happening and you need to know how you can meet those compliance requirements in your own business. Yeah. And uh, it's all about being a great leader um, a great manager of people and um, wanting to create the best experience possible for your team. And so following the latest trends and laws and rulings allows you to put yourself in the position to get the best experience for your team possible. And of course, one of the ways you do that is by listening to our, our show because 
we're going to set you up to win with these topics so that you can be a better leader of your team. So first of all, Summer, um, for those who may not know, what is gender dysphoria? Sure. So I would say that if you're a small business um, and you're not familiar with this term, uh, it's really important that you become familiar with it. And using the explanation that was in the article that we're talking about today, it is the distress caused by a person's gender identity not matching that person's sex that was assigned at birth. All right. So how is this playing out in the workplace and what was this ruling all about? Well, I think it's important to first know that there was uh, a recent Cedars-Sinai study that said that about three quarters of transgender people experience gender dysphoria by the time that they were age seven. And the reason that that piece is important is because um, if you were following what was happening in the Supreme Court about two years ago, there was a ruling that said that LGBT were covered by Title VII. So if you're not in the HR space, familiar with Title VII, it's totally okay. But in the simplest explanation, it prohibits employment discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. So you're probably saying, okay, well, what's the difference? So the ADA is now actually going one step further um, beyond just that pro like prohibiting bias that I just explained. And it's requiring that employers, so that's you if you're out there listening, provide reasonable accommodations. And in short, under the ADA, uh, people with disabilities get the full protection of the law, employment and access to public facilities. So there's a lot to unpack here. There is, there is. And um, with, with employment discrimination, we, and Title VII, uh, just want to unpack that a little bit more so that we have a deep context around this conversation today. It's not just whether you hire or fire someone. Employment discrimination has everything to do with anything that surrounds employment at an organization. So it's, it's hiring, it's termination, it's uh, pay equality, it's uh, whether you give someone um, duties that are, that are uh, degrading or demeaning versus others in their, in their job category. Um, it's, it's, there, there, it's, there's a whole host of things that go under employment discrimination. So when you think about creating a great workplace, right, and a, um, anti-discriminatory workplace, you have to look at all aspects of your business, um, not just hiring and firing so that you can say, well, we have a diverse team, the numbers are there, the data shows that we're diverse. But it's also about the day-to-day -day stuff, like the salaries and the performance and so on and so forth. So um, with that being said, let's go ahead and, and keep, keep learning more about, the, about mm -hmm. the new ruling. Yeah, you make some really great points. And, and I think to try to break this down for companies who might be saying, oh my gosh, you know, what are these examples of these reasonable accommodations that you speak of, Summer and Joey? And to give you some examples, 
um, for somebody who may have gender dysphoria. And we see this actually play out pretty frequently um, in terms of the clients that we work with. There's team members who might need time off for medical procedures. Um, they might need time off for hormone therapy. And uh, we really encourage you to take a look at um, how your current policies in your company may adversely affect these individuals. So for example, your dress code policies, if you have them specific to your business and they're very specific um, in regards to gender, we, you know, we're going to ask you to take a look at those and see what can be changed to make it a better workplace. And um, if there is a very compelling reason, say for example, that it, an existing policy is in place, then a reasonable accommodation may mean a modification to that policy for this individual. And one of them uh, that, I don't know if you've seen them, Joey, but I hear quite a bit in California, are gender neutral restrooms. So that's also a great example of what type of reasonable accommodations might look like in your workplace. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And let's let's play this out for uh, workplaces that that aren't the traditional corporate office, right? And so what do those spaces in, look like for individuals who get dressed for work? Um, so whether it's a locker room, a break room, a changing room, um, accommodations need to be met in order to uh, stay compliant and uh, create a great workplace. I had another question for you. Um, how, how does a company evaluate whether they're being reasonable and accommodating? Yes. So there's actually quite a bit of information out there. We work with our clients on the reasonable accommodation process. And I think that it's first important to note that while there is a lot of information out there, similar to like, if you were say, just reading a law, the actual practice of that and how you execute it is where um, the details of getting it right are really important. So when it comes to a reasonable accommodation, sometimes there's the term that's used interchangeably that I hear frequently. It's called the interactive process. And really, the purpose of this is so that either your applicant or your employee and the company engaging in a good faith conversation about what the disability is, what the limitations might be, and how it might affect their ability to perform what's called the essential functions of the job. So I'm going to pause there because I don't know about you, Joey, but when I hear essential functions of the job, I immediately go to, oh my gosh, I hope they have job descriptions. <laughs> yeah, I, that's where I go as well. Um, job descriptions, uh, appropriate resources, uh, because we think about so many um, employers and and we've kind of been in this place, we're getting better at it, where there's the job description, there's the task, but then you create your own like work hacks to carry out the task, right? Yeah. So um, thinking about where those work hacks exist and um, making sure that an employee who may be uh, protected under this under this ruling mm -hmm. isn't have to isn't having to do a work hack to mm -hmm. uh, to get their job done. So if this disability is impairing what's considered a major life function, then um, 
the employee and the employer or the applicant and the employer need to have these discussions to try to figure out what are the limitations and um, what type of changes, what type of modifications that are considered essentially reasonable or practical can be done to allow that individual to perform the job. So in some cases, this does involve obtaining medical documentation with the appropriate releases and consents from the doctor to understand what is the condition, what is the duration, what are the limitations. So, um, you know, we spoke about it a couple episodes back about denying um, accommodations, and it really is in the best interest of your candidate and employee and your team to find a way to make it work uh, whenever possible. Yeah, and if you're having trouble getting that process started, I think the best place to go is to folks that are helping people do that. And that's us at Jumpstart, where we're able to tackle all of the different aspects of this equation, um, Mm -hmm. whether it's the job descriptions, it's your policies, uh, your workplace culture, training uh, we actually have a, a dei consultant on our team who can help with um, training and getting your managers or team members acclimated to um, using better language using um, better approaches of communication and making sure that uh, everything is is good there uh, so if you if you need to reach out to us you can reach out at jumpstart-hr.com and that's the best url uh, to reach us um, any other thoughts on this topic before we jump into to something else? No other thoughts. I mean, I think that we covered it as a high level as we possibly could. But if you're a listener of the show and you're curious to know um, how, uh, how to navigate this with your team, then we'd love to hear from you and also any follow-up questions you might have. Absolutely. And if you are uh, someone who has personally benefited from um, this ruling and have an employer that you want to shine a light on, um, let us know too. We're happy to share best practices and folks who are winning and companies that are, that are doing really well about creating a great place for everybody. So uh, let us know too. Awesome. Well, I think it's time to get into Consultants Corner, Joey. And this is a topic that I'm really excited to introduce. So Consultants Corner is where we typically dive into a topic that we're seeing uh, in our consulting business or perhaps a question or inquiry that came from our listeners. But we're going to change it up a little bit because we have some very exciting updates to share about Joey recently teaching a class at Harvard. And we thought that would be a wonderful way to share the story and also the importance of training. And so, Joey, why don't you go ahead and take it away? Yeah, thank you, Summer. And uh, over the course of my professional career, there are moments that I look back and I'm like, wow, that was awesome. And uh, there's nothing like it. And I I really feel like uh, the opportunity to teach at Harvard uh, for for the day was, was one of those moments. I had the opportunity to speak as a part of a class on influence and persuasion at work. And so it was a room of managers and leaders and, and some folks who were self-employed, um, but, but seven countries were represented. And it was great just to bring the principles that we talk about as a company um, that we share with our clients 
and and bring it to Harvard and see and see if it if it stuck if it resonated. And so I got to speak on the topic of of what makes a good employee. And um, I say what makes a good employee with regard to that umbrella topic of influence and persuasion about like how do you know if someone buys into your culture? How do you know if they want to become better? How do you know if they can be influenced or persuaded for good, right? For the good of uh, their career, for the good of your organization, for the good of your customers. And ideally, all that's one one mission. Um, it's just everybody plays a different part in that. And uh, it was it was cool. Now, I will say there was there was an intimidating moment because I actually I, I, I spoke after a, a guy who is a Wall Street Journal bestselling author and CEO of like the former CEO of the national uh, power company in Australia. So, you know, he's he's kicking it out of the park. He's got this awesome presentation right he's he's wowing the room he's got war stories and then it's like all right here's the hr guy right um <laughs> but it was it was cool it was cool and i and um my content was no less um no less than his i think that they actually worked really well to go one after another cuz we had some similarities and uh so he talked about leadership and the importance of owning that role and the importance of influence um, one thing he said is uh, he didn't realize the importance of influence until he realized he had no influence. And so imagine trying to move an organization. Now, this wasn't when he was CEO. He was, I think, uh, brought in as a consultant somewhere. Uh, but imagine trying to move an organization where no one buys into you, no one responds to you, uh, no one finds you credible. And so it was an aha moment for him of like trying to build more influence and accountability in that area so that he can make a difference in, in companies. And so um, he talked about it as a leader. I talked about it as like how to bring your team along. Um, so it was awesome. It was awesome. But but what, what stood out to me the most um, in the room was that I wish there were more people in the room. And I wish that there were more people from these organizations um, because, and this, 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 we're, we're going to talk about like the topic at large now about training is that one of the, the beauties of training is that you start to adopt a new language and a new way to orient with your work. But then you have to go back and share like a diluted version of that with with your team or with your staff. And so um, I, I really believe in the power of training. I really believe in the power of, of having training happen um, together, um, especially when we think about why so many people leave organizations. It's because of uh, lack of opportunities for growth and development, right? There's a, a stat here that says, 74% of surveyed employees feel they aren't reaching their full potential at work due to lack of development opportunities. Mm. So what better way to tie employee fulfillment with um, their growth and better contributions to the organization mm -hmm. than for training? So I, 
I, I know I kind of said a lot. There's more we can unpack. But Summer, what are your thoughts on on training and development? Because you've mm-hmm. you have a, a great career as well um, in HR and other areas. And so how has training impacted you? Well, it's interesting because it was one of those discoveries during my career that I hadn't intentionally spent uh, dedicated time to honing my skills in the area of um, developing team members and training. Like my career, you know, just naturally progressed in a different direction. But what I discovered as I was afforded those opportunities at various employers to to grow in areas that I was very passionate about, I discovered my gift. And I think that everybody has a gift in their personal life and in their career, like in in their work. And my gift um, that my mentors um, helped me discover is that I am um, very talented at identifying potential in talent even when they may not see it in themselves. And not just identifying, but just having the natural ability and just passion and drive to want to develop those individuals. And so when it comes to some of the what makes a good employee, I think what makes a good employee is is part of this. It is um, having self-awareness and also the drive and motivation to want to do and learn more. Um, And then, you know, kind of from a leadership standpoint and where, you know, where I think I fit into this puzzle and and other leaders, even if it's not their natural gift, they can be intentional about developing the skill for themselves is seeing the value of being intentional and developing your team so that they can learn and grow. And hopefully one day, become that person who develops others as well. Yep. There's there's so much to be said for the power of training and, and that aha moment that you had and um kind of boils for me it boils down to two things, right? I think you train people uh and want to see them trained uh for legacy and capacity. Um from a legacy standpoint of wanting to be that that good leader that makes people better. And then from a capacity standpoint, being that leader who wants to be able to get more done, uh, see the team get more done, but in a way that is um, more joyful than stressful, right? And so it's teaching the team to to work better, to perform better, to communicate better, uh, to embrace culture better, uh, and not in a way that is kind of just like, uh, taxing, you know, the 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 driver, the the taskmaster kind of kind of thing. Um, so that's that's where I think most even business owners and uh, managers of people, especially if you're a first time manager, just figuring out like how to lead people. The best thing you can do is um, make your make yourself more productive and make your team more productive through expanding capability. I think it takes a lot of trust. And, and one of the sayings that, um, that live by is that a great work culture that supports development is an environment that is a safe place, a safe space to make mistakes. Now, I don't mean making careless mistakes. I, I mean, 
give your team member development opportunities that's going to stretch them and recognize that they're not going to get right 100% of the time, but that the vast majority of things are fixable and that they're going to be motivated to do well naturally if you've got the right folks on your team. And if they make a mistake, then they need to know, you know what, we're just going to own it. We're just going to own it. It's going to be okay. We will work through it together. And when you get to the other side, there's that, that, there's that other aha moment of like, I didn't die. And I learned something along the way. So whether they may have it from the start, they're still learning. There's still that progression and development happening. And, you know, I mean, people are going to make mistakes. And I think that it's all part of that learning and growing process. Yep. Yep. And I think um, part of training and development is creating safe spaces for people to make mistakes so that uh, you almost want to make mistakes behind the scenes or in a safe kind of trial scenario. And then also have the trust in your team that if a person gets to a point where they're not certain, they can ask questions mm-hmm. before uh, a mistake is made in a bigger in a bigger scenario. Um, so so yeah, you you want to be able to what did Bob Ross call them happy happy accidents? Um, the Be- painter. Oh, I think he called them beautiful oops, right? Beautiful oops. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what it is? Anything behind the scenes, right? <laughs> like that's not like fatal. Uh, is a beautiful oops, and you can train and and develop from it. But anything that's that's like client facing or customer facing um, should be a, a teachable moment, and uh, there should be ways and avenues for people to reach out for help if they need help. Absolutely, and I think you know bringing this full circle, it is truly about leading your team well. It is about uh, helping grow your team, develop them. It's a foundation of trust, and when I think about um, one of the comments you said earlier about, you know, the leader realizing that they didn't have any influence at all. Um, I think that's also one of the biggest aha moments that, you know, that I learned in my career journey, which is, you know, how to influence without authority. And um, it, you know, it's not the easiest thing to accomplish, but I think, you know, whether you are, um, an individual contributor, or you are a leader, um, that's definitely a skill when I think about, you know, items to develop in the HR profession, or just leadership space. It's a pretty important one, too. So, uh, you know, I think we could go on and on about the importance of training and development. Um, I do want to leave with a few, uh, some more stats that kind of blew my mind. Uh, one of them says that, Fit and, and think about the small business owner when we think of, or the small business as we think about this, right? 59% of managers who oversee one to two employees report having no training at all. And then 41% of managers who oversee three to five employees claim the same. So, so we're literally, you know, we live in this world where we always say people are our most important asset or our most important resource. But Half of the people that manage your most important resource have no idea what they're doing because yeah. they weren't trained on it. So, you know, um, 
we 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 do coach managers we do create trainings for teams and uh and employers uh but but if you're in one of those scenarios where you uh, haven't gotten training as a as a manager and if your manager is not trained you're already doing a good thing by uh listening and subscribing to our show because we'll help you but you should find some ways to get some 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 coaching and training in your organization that's amazing. Well, I I can't wait to hear about um, the next time that you're invited to teach at Harvard or another prestigious school, because it's definitely, as you mentioned, an amazing opportunity and experience. And I'm sure it's just the first of many to come. Well, you know, I already, I told my wife I wanna I want Boston to be my second home and find a way to teach there. So we'll see. We'll see. All right. And everyone, thanks for tuning in to this episode of While We Were Working. Uh, Go ahead and hit that subscribe button if you're not following the show. And uh, we'll see you next week. For more HR strategies that will take your company to the next level, visit whilewewereworking.com.